You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of solids. What is the ideal woman? One of the most important decisions a man can make in his life is the kind of woman he chooses to date or marry. In this episode of the Hard Men Podcast, we'll be talking about the biblical picture of the ideal woman. I'll be discussing what Proverbs 31 has to say about this woman's character and then contrasting that ideal with several faulty cultural views on femininity that tend to dominate today. We'll also look at the historical trends in feminism and culture that have shaped our view of womanhood today. And we'll look at some practical tips for choosing the right spouse, helping your wife grow in biblical faithfulness as a woman, and what to do if you're already married to a feminist. today by examining some false ideals about womanhood and femininity that have even dominated in the church. So I want to look at a couple things today, starting with number one, patriarchal doormat. The woman is a patriarchal doormat. In so many churches, what you find is that a woman is essentially a doormat to her husband. She doesn't have a mind of her own. She doesn't have any say in the relationship. She walks around and she dotes upon her husband day and night. And the only expression that comes out of her mouth is, I don't know, honey, what would you like to do? Right? It's this uber passive sort of weak woman who is a doormat for her husband's tyranny, domineering rule in the home. And what are the results? Well, the results are generally she kind of turns into a zombie. Right, The children are not happy because there's no brakes for dad, right? like brakes on a car, that kind of brake. There's no brakes for him, and so he kind of gets away with anything. He exasperates the children, and again, the marriage is usually unhappy. Right, She doesn't have much of a brain. She doesn't have much of a personality. So if you're a young man and you're looking and you're saying, what kind of woman should I pursue? Just know this is unbiblical. Right, This patriarchal doormat is not something that's good. It's not something that you should strive for. You want to avoid that one at all costs. I think one of the problems is that this ideal appeals to a lot of men because they think, wow, that would be really great if I could just totally rule and trample over my wife in this way. I'll get whatever I want. But here's a little secret, guys. If, if you're a masculine man... You want a woman who, in the right ways, knows how to push back. She knows how to challenge you when you're wrong, right? You're going to need a woman who's strong of character. And so that stands contrary to this doormat idea. I think about the times where I've needed my wife to say no, right? I've needed her to say, you are in sin or you're being stupid. Again, I welcome those things in a woman. So you should not want a woman who's a doormat. You want a woman with a godly opinion and with wisdom. 
All right, number two, what is another false ideal within the church of femininity? Well, I'm going to call this the prairie muffin, little house on the prairie model. Right? This is the idea of trying to recapture some past era Laura Ingalls Wilder type fiction. You read Little House on the Prairie and now you want to be a prairie muffin Christian. You're going to wear denim jumpers. You're going to make your own clothes. You're going to weave your own yarn. Because you read this overly romanticized fictional novel. And now you think that that's the ideal for the Christian life in today's world. Right? Being a prairie muffin is not necessarily the same as being biblical. In the same way, being a 1950s housewife isn't either. And so what we have to dismantle is this notion of wanting to capture a past era, especially from a fictionalized TV show, Leave it to Beaver, or from, again, a book. Your goal has got to be to seek biblical womanhood. And so, men, if you find a girl, you know, you're a young man, you're looking for a spouse, you find a girl who's prairie muffin, trying to recapture an era, I would really think twice about that, right? Maybe her heart's in the right place and her parents have just sort of misguided her, but I've known a lot of these people and it usually ends very badly. What's funny is how many of them I know that grew up in sort of patriarchal denim jumper environments and now their left wing is all get out right they go completely off the other deep end one day they're spinning yarn and the next day they're reading rachel held evans you want to avoid that okay number three is the victorian era maiden gosh this is such a big problem right girls be reading jane austen they read pride and prejudice and they go I need to find Mr. Darcy. Okay, well, just because you read it in a novel, A, doesn't mean it's real, and B, doesn't mean that's the ideal. If you are in that realm and you're not sure what I'm talking about, I would encourage you to read Rebecca Merkel's book, Eve in Exile. She talks about this. She talks about the different waves of feminism and how they've shaped the culture and even the church. But especially, she unpacks this idea of trying to recapture a, a, a genre, a time period that didn't even exist. It, it doesn't exist now, and it didn't even then, right? It was fictionalized even at the time. And that's where we get this Victorian-era maiden. She sits on the couch. She gossips. She's a creature of luxury and comfort, right? She is sort of vacuous in between the ears. She knows how to play the piano and cook a good meal, but that's all. She never challenges her husband. She barely ever has thoughts of her own. She dresses in the attire of Victorian Edda women. The whole issue here is that a woman is not made for wasting her days in mindless toil, drinking martinis, getting hair appointments and soap operas on the television. She's not just a consumer of unnecessary luxuries. There's got to be more to the ideal woman than this. So again, men, beware of these time period fixations in a woman. 
And then fourth and finally, there is, of course, militant feminism. Yeah, you're going to want to stay away from this one at all costs. It's usually pretty easy to spot. But I think the problem is that so many times you meet a girl and look, dude, here's what you say. She's hot. You're a young man. You've got hormones. She knows how to do her makeup. And then you're hanging out one day and she says to you, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that people want to take away a woman's right to choose what she does with her body. And you're like, what? This is probably not good, but she's a good kisser. Right? Look, dudes, this is how it happens. You get sucked in because she's pretty. This is a problem. We're going to look at this in the next section when we look at the ideal woman and we compare and contrast that with Lady Folly. But this is why men get married to feminists. It's one of the big reasons. Right? When you're young, especially, and you're dating a girl, you don't think to yourself, about what the long-term ramifications of a person's ideologies are, but they're very, very weighty and important, right? And because we live in a generation of bastards, we don't have fathers to tell a son, like, dude, I know she's hot. I get that. Look, her, her genes are painted on. I get it. She's fine, but it's a world of hurt, bro, <laughs> right? A father needs to look his son in the eye and be honest about that. You need to stay away from these kind of women. So we named four of them. We're just going to recap real quick. Avoid the patriarchal doormat. Avoid the prairie muffin. Avoid the Victorian era maiden. And finally, avoid the militant feminist. What I most of all want to destroy is the notion that women are just passive consumers of luxuries. Right, all they do is spend their husband's income. But instead, scripturally, as we're going to find out, women have a purpose. They're to be productive in the household. And this is where they receive so much of their value. This is why husbands and fathers praise their wives and mothers is because they're actually valuable to a household economy. We're going to look at that as we turn now to Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is interesting because it's a book written from fathers and mothers, predominantly fathers, but fathers and mothers to sons. So Proverbs is really, when you think about it, all this wisdom literature is what fathers and mothers should be teaching to their children. And note how practical it is. The main thing I want to highlight today is what Proverbs and the father, Solomon, says about two types of women. On the one hand, there is Lady Folly. She's loud, right? She's mouthy. She's also pretty. She's seductive. And this is a problem for young men. This is why the father warns against Lady Folly. Stay away from her. She'll entice you with sweet words. And she'll ultimately kill you. She'll make your life miserable. So fathers should tell sons, stay away. And then on the other hand, there's Lady Wisdom. And we're going to turn now to her in Proverbs 31. Of course, this language, Lady Wisdom, will show up earlier as well. But one of the quintessential pictures of a godly woman is found in Proverbs 31. As we look at Proverbs 31, I want you to notice the different characteristics, and we'll go through them, of this Lady Wisdom. 
right? This godly wife and mother. Centrally, she is a productive foundation to a household economy, right? Don't don't miss that. I want you to hear it. She is the productive center of a household economy. This is why she's so valuable. Again, this is why the husband and why the sons, they praise her because she's central to the economy of the home. Notice what's said about her. Number one, she, instead of being mouthy, she has a mouthful of wisdom, right? Instead of sitting docilely in her house watching soap operas, she's constantly investing the family money and managing the property. She's buying and selling land. She's overseeing the finances of the house. She's industrious, and she runs a tight ship in the household. Because of this, her husband and her children praise her. So for men, when you're thinking about a woman that you want to marry, more than just what she looks like, right? The end of Proverbs 31 says that beauty fades, and it is it can be a distraction. Obviously, beauty is important. But it can distract you from the really important things. And those are being a productive, essentially small business owner in the home, right? This is the kind of thing that you should be looking for in a woman. How does she work? Can she manage other people well? Does she know how to deal with finances? On the flip side, if you're raising daughters, these are the things that you ought to be teaching them. Sure, cooking is part of the equation. She knows how to keep her family fed, but she knows how to buy things. She knows how to invest. She knows how to keep the books. Again, she's well-suited for running a complex business out of the home. Now, it's interesting because today what we've done is we've taken the woman out of the home and we've sent her into the workforce and we've largely done the same thing with men. The problem is the productive property is not in the home. And so as a result of that, you're really a wage slave to somebody else. So there's this great irony. Women in the feminist movement will say, well, we need to free women by sending them into corporate America. But you're not freeing them. You're making them wage slaves just like the men. And trust me, I've worked in corporate America. That's exactly what you are. You're a slave often to a very oppressive boss and or corporate system. So if you want to free women, what you need to do is empower them with productive property in the home to work for and with their husbands, right? Start a small business in the home. Of course, it's hard work. You need to bring the productive property back into the home, and that's where you need the man and the woman to be. Why do I bring this up? Well, because that's what's killing our culture. And there's actually a historical trend to back that up. And that's what I want to talk about now. Now, for those of you who are interested, I I want to recommend a couple books. First of all, I want to recommend The Feminization of the American Culture by Ann Douglas. Ann Douglas was a feminist and she did a really nice job of showing how in the pulpit and among women and especially female fiction writers in the 1800s and 1900s, how that shift in theology and the things that they were writing about affected 
culture. So I highly recommend that. I'm going to be really re referring to that a lot today. That's where I'm getting a lot of my information. And we'll talk about it in later episodes. But I also want to encourage you, if you want to know more about this from a practical standpoint, a biblical standpoint, what am I talking about with productive property? What am I talking about with household economy? I want to recommend two books, both by Chris Wiley, C.R. Wiley, as he goes by in his books. Number one is Man of the House. That's C.R. Wiley, Man of the House. Very, very practical tools on how you can bring the productive property back into your household and establish a biblical, robust household. It could never be more important than it is right now in our Rona crazed world. Okay, so I recommend that book to you. Again, that's Chris Wiley, C.R. Wiley, Man of the House. The other book I want to recommend to you is The Household and the War for the Cosmos. And that is also Chris Wiley. That one is produced by Canon Press. You should check this out. This goes into Ephesians and the biblical model for how the household is part of God's plan for taking dominion of the whole cosmos. These have really shaped my thinking, and I think they'll be very beneficial to you as well. So as promised, now we're going to jump into the historical shift that happened. And this happened in the early to mid-1800s and really hit full swing in about 1860 to 1890. And that is the shift in American culture away from a productive household and productive women in the household to a luxury consumer-based culture. Most of this is because of the Industrial Revolution. Pre-Industrial Revolution, women were and men were working productively in their households. As a result, the women that you read about in this era say late 1700s to early 1800s in America, most of the women are almost identical to the Proverbs 31 woman, right? They're working in their homes. They're working land and the farming side of things. They're working with animals. They're selling. They're buying. And they are really centerpieces in the home. And so Ann Douglas shows how so many of the men in that era just revered their mothers. Not in a sappy, sentimental way, but they were literally just a huge component of the household. But she shows this shift that when industrialization came, the women and the men were moved to the factory, and especially the men in the beginning. As a result, the men went away from the home to make the money, then he brought the money home, and the woman, who was in large part bored, especially if she was middle to upper class, well, her new role in society was simply to consume what her husband made. So she was excluded from the realm of business really for the first time now. She was no longer an essential piece of household economy because the economy had left the home and she wasn't a part of it. This is where we start to see pictures, especially these sort of Victorian era pictures, of the woman who spent her days reading fiction talking to her girlfriends, right? She's not really doing much. One of the other results was that men no longer really cared what women's opinions were. And women, in turn, became interested in religion, 
So they would go to church and they would hang out with their effeminate pastor friends. And that world was totally separate to the world of men. So here's the main point of that. The woman, when she became a consumer and not a producer, was denigrated. She was no longer valued. So I'm just describing to you really sort of the early first wave feminism. Today, feminists will say that we need to send the women to work, and that's going to empower them. And in a sense, they're right. They're right to recognize that women is more, a woman is more than simply a mindless consumer. She's more than just the person who keeps track of all the appliances at the home and makes sure that the annual vacation is scheduled. And in between that, she binge watches Netflix, right? She reads thousands and thousands of raunchy romance novels to try and occupy her mind. She daydreams about the husband she wishes she had. So when feminists are revolting against that picture of femininity, of being a woman, they're right. The problem is what they say is that we need to send women to work. Now, as any man has known, you you go to corporate America, right? You have your soul completely sucked out by cubicle life. You realize that it's really not freedom. Right? It is being a wage slave. You're a slave to someone else, usually doing work that you don't care that much for. And they don't really care if you're skilled at it or want to do it. So the idea that you free a woman by taking her out of the home where she's bored to death and putting her in corporate America is the wrong response to a real problem. The real issue is that we need to return to a productive household. You need to take the means of productive property and you need to return them to the home, right? And that could be a photography business that you run. That could be a plumbing business. It could be a number of things. But essentially, you own the productive property and that's how you achieve financial and other freedom. So if you want to free a woman from the mindless drudgery of scrubbing the kitchen floor three times a day, after dropping the kids off at daycare, make her a productive part of the household economy, right? Give her work that is based in God's mandate for dominion in helping the husband to build this household, make lots of babies. We talked about it in past episodes that man was made for dominion. Well, so was woman. She's not made to be a mindless consumer. Of course, that's going to be boring, horrible, awful work. And so what she needs to be engaged in is the same dominion work. Again, building a strong household, bringing the productive property into the home, making babies, training those children to be covenant keeping and faithful. That's the work that has meaning. And when you have meaningful work for the woman, again, I believe she will be a revered part of her community, her her family, and her church. You return the woman to the household to do meaningful work, and that makes more of women, not less. This is the picture of Proverbs 31. Now, as we do in every episode, I want to get very, very practical, and I want to look at, first of all, for young men. You're not married. You're single. You're looking for a spouse. What are the things that you should be considering? Number one... You need to find a woman who can work. 
And when I say work, I mean someone who can manage money. I mean someone who can run a small business. She knows how to manage other people, including adult males. That's going to be essential. Think about Rebecca in the Old Testament. Think about the patriarchs' wives. Right? They had to manage large estates. They had to know about animal husbandry. They had to know how to manage money, servants, all these things. Right? It was complex and it was difficult. And there was no HR department or accounting department to fall back on when you ran into trouble. This is one of the reasons I believe Rebecca was chosen as a spouse for Isaac. She clearly knew how to manage estates. She wasn't a dainty Victorian-era prairie muffin, you name it. Right? She knew how to do real work and run a real business. So, men, you should be looking for women. Watch the way she works. Is she industrious? Does she know how to work with her hands? This is where I think so much dating goes wrong. Some of the best moments when I was dating my wife, it, it, it wasn't that we went out to eat, okay? Those are important moments. You get to have important conversations. But I'll tell you the thing that, that won me over to my wife most of all. We would go to a friend's house and we would help them move. We would help them do a remodeling project. And I saw my wife take care of the other family's children. I saw the way that she would prepare a meal for everyone. I saw the way that she would have put in a 12-hour day and not complain but be cheerful. Right? I saw her later in our marriage. We've moved so many times it's not even funny. And I'll tell you the rock of our family when we're moving and I'm, I'm trying to finish a job, trying to be faithful there. And my wife has completely moved the house and managed our children and managed the finances and, and she's kept paying the bills, right? My wife is a rock in our family because she is a centerpiece of the household economy. So when you're looking for a wife, you got to evaluate these things. You say to yourself right now, yeah, I know, I know, Eric, but this girl's hot, right? But okay, three, four, five babies in. Like, her body's going to change, bro. Like, you got to know that. There are going to be stretch marks. And is she going to be a worker? Is she going to be productive? Is she going to manage her household well? That is so much more important than whether she was hot when she was 20. Okay, the other thing I will say to you is, look at her family. You know, this isn't a one-to-one. It's not always true at all. But you can evaluate the kind of family that she came from. What's her mom like? What was her mom's vision of what a woman should be like? And how does your wife or your future prospective wife, how does she respond to that vision? Now, your future mother-in-law could be a raging feminist. And your wife could say, God, I hate that. Okay, and that's a good sign. But if your mother-in-law is reading Cosmo and watching raunchy TV and fills her days with romance novels, and your wife or your prospective, your girlfriend, sees that and has no problem with it, Yeah, that's going to be an issue. It's easier to vet these problems than to get out later. So many dudes are in miserable relationships because they don't do this basic vetting process. And the last thing I'll say about point number one is, if you have good, wise, godly parents, trust their opinion, right? Help them, like lean on them to help you vet that process. You know, that was one of the formative things for me. I remember... I had just met my wife in high school. We were dating. And I remember my mom said to me, she was like, this girl, I'm telling you, she's something. 
You need to pay attention, son. And it was helpful advice, right? If you have, if you have godly wise parents who can help you see those things, then certainly lean on them. If not, find other godly people in the church, right? Older godly people who've been successfully and happily married for a long time, go out to dinner with them. Bring your date. Ask them, what do you, what do you think about this girl? Okay, that's point number one. Find a woman who can work, who can manage, who can run a business like a boss, right? You want that. You do not want a weak, passive, vacuous brain woman. You do not want that. Number two, find a woman who wants to make lots of babies. Right? This is just practically good advice. I remember when I was in high school, I went on a date. And this was the first date that I had with this girl. We went out to dinner, I think. And when we were at dinner, I asked her, I said, what do you, what's your view of children? Do you want children? What do you think of them? And she told me, she said, you know, I help out in the nursery in my church. And God, I hate children. I never want to have them. Okay, so I was like, check, please. I'm out. Peace. Hope you enjoy your food in the doggy bag when you take it home. I'll take you home. I'll be a gentleman. I'll, I'll pay for the food. But this is a one and done. And I look at that person today, and she has no children. She's, like, way too old to be still clubbing and acting like a tramp, right? You know what I'm talking about. I think she might be married, but, yeah, still trampy. She never fulfilled God's command. As far as I know, still holds that same belief. So it was a, that's a tell. Are you talking about poker players, you're looking for a tell? I'm telling you, one of the tells is what a woman says in her when you're dating, what she says about children. Does she want babies? Now, caveat here. I was talking to a dude not too long ago, and he's like going on dates, and, and the first question he's asking a, a girl is, so uh, based on your body type, how many children do you think your hips could bear? Okay, dude, you're a weirdo. Okay? You know, the whole point of flirting is being subtle. That's about as subtle as a dump truck going through a nitroglycerin plant. And it just lets me know that you're a creeper. So don't do that. But you can just ask a simple, subtle question. What do you think of kids? And then watch the way that she interacts with children. One of the things about my wife I always loved, uh, we, we knew each other through family friends. And before I had even gone on a date with her, my aunt told me, she said, this girl's beautiful. She loves God. And Eric, I'm telling you, she says she wants five boys. She wants lots of babies. She wants a big family. And I said to myself, pure gold, right? We live in a culture where children are hated. That's why we murder millions of them every year. And so if you want to know kind of immediately, is your girl a feminist? Like she might be trying to hide that from you, bro. But is she a feminist? Ask her what she thinks about children. Almost every feminist that I have known will say something in their teenage years like, I might have a child when I'm like 35 after my career. Or they'll say things like, I, oh my God, I never want children. I don't want to lose my sexy figure. That is a telltale sign. Girl says that to you. Call for the check, pay the bill, get out. 
Okay. It's very, very simple, dudes. Number one, can she run a business? Number two, does she want lots of babies? Do you see her as a mother of your children? Can she teach those babies? Right? Don't even think about sending your kids to public school. The whole point of life is not to have your kids brainwashed to hate everything you love. So find out, does she want to Does she want to have babies? Watch her in contact while you're our children. Again, I just, I go back to my wife. She would play with kids. She loved them. Like there was a mothering instinct and she was, she was embracing that. And that's a good thing. That's what God made her to do. And so it's the kind of woman you should want to marry. Okay, number three. And finally, you want to find out what her vision in life is. Right? What does what the good life look like to your perspective, future Mrs. whatever your name is? It's got to go beyond the way that she looks. It's got to go beyond she does her hair real nice. Right? What's her vision for the good life? Is she going to be somebody who is productive in your household economy? Or is she going to be somebody who just wants to spend your money? Right? That's a recipe for disaster. I knew a dude who made well in the six figures. And I remember talking to him and I said, bro, you, you make good money. But uh, you guys live in a rented house. And your girl don't do nothing. You got kids, but they go to public school. Like, it seems like you don't actually have money. And he told me, he's like, no, dude, she spends all of it. I said, where does she spend it? He said, you just order off Amazon, right? His girl bled him dry. He was married to this lady. They're not married anymore. You see the problem. What was her vision for life? It was just to buy clothes and have trashy hair and expensive trashy hair. Like, she didn't want to be no mom. She didn't want to be a part of no economy. And dudes, I'm telling you, do not. The worst thing you can do. Well, she's really hot, but I could change her. Like, girls get a bad rap for that? Saying, oh, I can change a dude. Uh, He'll be pussy whipped. I can change him. I bet men are just as stupid. You are not going to change somebody like that. So it's so much easier if you just opt out, man. Don't have sex with this girl. Don't be macking out with her because she's going to get her hooks in you, bro. Right? What does the father tell the son in Proverbs? He says, don't even go near her house. Like, don't even be tempted. So those were the practical things. Find a woman who can work. Find a woman who wants to make lots of babies and figure out what her life vision is. If she doesn't have one, might I recommend pretty much anything on femininity from Moscow, Idaho, Canon Press. One of the best books you can read is Even Exile. That's by Rebecca Merkel. Highly recommended. Read anything by Rachel Yankovic, right? That's Doug Wilson's daughter. Both of them are. Both married, both lovely ladies, very godly and wise. Check out, speaking of resources, check out Summer Yeager on sheologians.com. She, S-H-E-ologians.com. Another helpful podcast on femininity, quality stuff. If you have questions about what feminism is, I recommend Summer's, she's got a whole, there's like 20 hours of podcasts that she has that deal with, and the series is called The Poison of Feminism. She goes through each of the waves of feminism, 
Uh, they talk about those, and it's very, very helpful. Again, you can go there. You can go to Canon Press. Lots of good resources for men and for women to understand feminism. All right, and the last thing I promised you that we would deal with, now we go to a tricky, tricky, tricky subject. What if you're a dude and you're married? Well, you already made these mistakes, right? You married a feminist. You made a mistake. That's where God has you. How can you be faithful in this situation? Well, actually, I think the scriptures have a lot to say to this sort of situation. Really, the question you should be looking at is like 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, Paul's going to address this. What should you do if you're married to an unbeliever or you're unequally yoked? She may be a Christian. I'm not saying she's not. But at the very least, you are unequally yoked. And Paul has instructions. If you're a faithful Christian man and she will allow you to bring your family to church and she will allow you, she's she's willing to stay with you, Paul has clear instruction on this. Then you move forward and you lead her and you love her and you start where you are. God's not calling you to start where someone else is. He's calling you to start where you are. So I just want to encourage you guys, if you are married to a feminist, I know a lot of men who are, that's okay. God will supply all the grace that you need in this situation. Number one, you need to lead well. This is always the thing that men need to do, but especially in this situation, your wife needs to see you lead well. Bring your family to church every week. Find a church that preaches and teaches the whole counsel of God, that teaches the whole Bible, that teaches on economies and sexuality, things like feminism, masculinity, right? They will address the tough issues of the day. Chances are if they will not address the tough issues in the pulpit, they're not going to address them in your life either. You need to find a pastor and group of elders who will help you work through this issue. You will need their support And if they have godly wives, it gives you someone to hang out with and to hopefully be a good influence for your wife. The whole point of this wise leadership, you conduct yourselves well, you love your children, you're a faithful father, you provide, that gives you a starting point and it makes you believable, right? It makes you not a hypocrite in your spouse's eyes, right? Show your feminist wife what godly, loving, faithful patriarchy looks like. That's that's number one. Number two, you need to help expose her in the ways that you can to the Bible and to truth. It might be through subtle encouragement. It might be through a direct conversation that you have with her. Eugene Peterson, I think, was helpful here as a pastor and as a friend. This has helped me a lot. He said, oftentimes you don't hit a nail head on to remove it, right? If you're trying to pull a nail, you got to come in under the side and pull it out. You can't hit it head on. I think there's some wisdom in that, right? This is what Peter talks about, winning your spouse without a word. Sometimes it's by conduct. Other times it's just by recommending that she go with the women of the church to a Bible study conference, whatever it is, help expose her to truth. And as you're doing this, you should be praying for her, right? This is the way that you should love your wife. You should pray for her. You should pray for her eyes to be opened. You should pray for her heart to be softened. 
that by your example and by the teaching of scripture, her heart would be changed and she would embrace biblical sexuality. Thanks for listening to the Hard Men Podcast. For more information, check out ericcon.com. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. Be sure to follow me on social media, including Twitter. Handle there is Eric, E-R-I-C underscore C-O-N-N. That's Eric underscore Con. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.